There is nothing in the Constitution that talks explicitly about a right to education, but don't we all believe that such a right exists, that education at its best is a great door opener, it's an opportunity maker? The stakes are enormously high. And that perhaps is why questions about how to educate our children tend to set off some of the most emotional arguments we encounter in the public forum. Consider debates about school segregation, the Pledge of Allegiance, evolution, teachers' unions, and the one we are going to be looking at in this debate, charter schools. Those experiments first launched only 25 years ago that let schools run themselves independently while still spending taxpayer money. With the dream that such schools would innovate their way to new educational breakthroughs, benefiting especially underserved children and proving what works and what does not work. And the outcome of that experiment, has the dream paid off? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate, so let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, charter schools are overrated. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan, and I stand between two teams of two experts in this topic who will argue for and against the motion. As always, our debate goes in three rounds, and then our audience here at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City votes to choose the winner, and only one side wins. Our motion is this, charter schools are overrated. We have one team of two experts arguing in favor of the motion. Let's welcome, ladies and gentlemen, Gary Mirren. And hi, Gary. You are a professor in the College of Education at Western Michigan University. You evaluate charter schools for state education agencies around the country. And you have said, I'm quoting here now, that the charter school idea is one that you like. Now I'm not quoting you, I'm paraphrasing. But you are... Um, fairly critical of how it has actually played out over the last 25 years. So given that, would you consider sending your own kids to a charter school? I guess I would consider that. Uh, as a parent, I always have to look out for my children's best interest. As an evaluator, as a professor and academic, I have to look out for the best interests of all kids. So my wife and I, when it came time, we shopped around and we ended up uh, enrolling our children in a magnet school. Okay. And can you tell us, please, Gary, who your partner is? Julian uh, Vasquez uh, Halig, he's, he's a professor and he's uh, very tech savvy and he knows charter schools inside and out. Welcome, Julian, to Intelligence Squared U.S. Um, and yes, Julian, you're a professor at Sacramento State uh, in education leadership and policy. You're a founding board member of the Network for Public a- Education. Um, we wanted to run this by you. The NAACP uh, recently took a stance calling for a moratorium on new charter schools, and there have been a lot of public hearings about that. You testified at one of them. Um, and both sides are heard in those debates, but did you have the sense being there that any minds were changed at the one you attended? Uh, this is the third resolution that the NAACP passed on charter schools in the last several years, and I think that this has elicited the most discussion, this most recent resolution. So I hope that uh, democracy moves forward, that this conversation moves forward. Maybe some minds will be changed. All right. Thanks very much. And again, the team arguing for the motion, charter schools are overrated. And we have a team arguing against the motion. First, let's welcome, please, Jeannie Allen. And Jeannie, you are CEO of the Center for Education Reform. Uh, Its mission is to expand educational opportunities for children uh, through innovation, freedom, and flexibility. You started the uh, the, the center back in 1993, um, a while back now, but what was the inspiration behind it? 
Well, it was 10 years after Nation at Risk. Uh, We were still very much a nation at risk at that point, and I was in Washington, D.C., and I decided there were a whole bunch of people, in fact, millions of parents and teachers around the country that desperately wanted something different, and I wanted to pull all sides together and help them get it. Thanks very much, Jeannie. And tell us who your partner is. Gerard Robinson, a scholar, friend, and amazing advocate. Gerard, welcome to Intelligence Squared U.S. Gerard Robinson, you're also a fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, and you've got some, uh, some experience here. You are a former commissioner of education for the state of Florida. You are a secretary of education for the Commonwealth of Virginia. You're a conservative. Your wife, who worked in the Department of Education under Clinton, is not a conservative. Um, now, charter schools, that doesn't always break down along party lines, those questions. So are you, is there bipartisanship in your house on this question? There's bipartisanship. My wife's a Democrat. She supports charters because she supports democracy. I'm a Republican. I support charters because I want to advance the republic. And it also shows that God has a sense of humor. <laughs> the team arguing against the motion. Charter schools are overrated. We go in three rounds. The first round, opening statements by each debater in turn. And here to make the first opening statement in support of the motion, please welcome to the lectern Gary Miron. He's a professor in evaluation, measurement, and research in the College of Education at Western Michigan University. Ladies and gentlemen, Gary Miron. As John noted earlier, I actually I like charter schools. I like the idea. It's a good idea. Uh, when I look at legislation, most of it passed in, in the 1990s, we see common goals, common publicly established objectives for charter schools. They, the legislation says they're going to be small, locally run. They're going to be innovative and highly accountable. They're going to be mission-driven. Uh, they're going to create new professional opportunities for teachers. Um, charter schools were going to be public schools, a new form of public schools, a compromise from private vouchers. Uh, and, uh, of course, charter schools were going to lift the public school system by competition and by example. So I, I, maybe I should sit on the other side of the stage. I'm very impressed with the idea. My, my problem comes, however, with what has happened in the last 25 years because they are not fulfilling those publicly established goals. If we look at school size, charter schools are very big. Uh, They're growing every year in size. Uh, We have some charter schools that are over 10,000 students. Many of them used to be locally run, but today increasingly they're started by outside private companies, and their proportion of the charter school market grows with every year. In terms of innovation, the systematic research has showed that charter schools on the whole have uh, innovations that in terms of nature and scale and scope are not different from traditional public schools. Another objective was that they're going to create new professional opportunities for teachers, and that has not happened, unfortunately. Very high teacher attrition rates. Um, When we looked at the reasons, it was uh, teacher salaries, working conditions, and the teachers' perception that their schools were not able to fulfill their mission objectives or follow those missions. The biggest thing that we often see debated is uh, student achievement. Charter schools were not supposed to perform similarly. They were supposed to outperform traditional public schools. Why would we create another public school, a parallel school system that performs similarly? They were supposed to perform better. And if we look at the body of evidence, there's over 80 rigorous studies of charter schools. Some are positive, some are negative in favor of charter schools. I've done nine of those studies, uh, two favored charter schools. I remember Jeannie Allen and Center for Education Reform praised praised us for our quality research. And a couple weeks later, we released our study on Pennsylvania. We were heavily criticized uh, by the same uh, organization because, uh, because of our findings. But we call them as we see them. But overall, across those 80 studies, we see that there's really no difference in performance. 
One other uh, thing about charter schools is they're supposed to be public schools. Today, close to half of the nation's public charter school students are enrolled in privately operated charter schools. In my own state of Michigan, 90% of our charter schools are owned and operated by private entities. Uh, some are nonprofit in nature, some are for profit, most are, uh, 80% are, are for profit. Uh, this, is not, this was not anticipated, not, not anticipated at all. We're seeing charter schools today being bought and sold. How can you buy and sell a public school? Um, I, I believe that the reform idea has been uh, really uh, taken from us by uh, private interest uh, pursuing ideological and profit, profit motives. I want my charter school reform back. It feels like somebody has stolen that from us. And this is one of the reasons why I'm particularly sad to say that uh, charter schools are overrated. Thank you, Gary Merrin. And that is the motion, charter schools are overrated. Our next debater will speak against the motion, Gerard Robinson. He is a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute, former commissioner of education for the state of Florida. Ladies and gentlemen, Gerard Robinson. In 1993, California was the second state in the nation to have a charter law behind Minnesota. Those two states had one thing in common. They allowed school teachers to create public schools because school teachers themselves said, we've got to find a unique way of freeing ourselves so that we can have schools to teach kids, to raise achievement, and to experiment. When we talk about charter schools, we forget the fact that it was created and pushed by teachers. Then they allowed parents and nonprofits and others to create charter schools. It was also bipartisan. Public school choice isn't about a public school monopoly. It's about having a public purpose for multiple kids. And they said, if we can empower teachers to create charters, then we should do so. I speak to you about charter schools as a charter school founder. I was also a charter school authorizer. I can tell you that America's got some great charter schools, and we have horrible charter schools. We have charter schools that, have, that should have never been opened. If they're bad charter schools, that is an accountability and an authorization problem, not a charter problem. If we have for-profit companies involved in charter schools and they're involved in malfeasance, that's financial malfeasance. That's not a problem with for-profit companies. We have people in the charter school movement who are in this movement to make money. Guess what? Before you had charter schools, you have people in the public school system then and now making money. Schools are important, but the means of education is ubiquitous. We have charter schools that are on the top floor of one school, bottom floor of another school. We have charter schools that have an entire school building. We have charter schools that are hybrid. Some classes are taking place in the school building. Some, in fact, are taking place online. We have charter schools that are also uh, totally virtual. There's a question about whether or not charter schools are going to destroy public education. Twenty-five years later, we have charter schools in this city, and charter schools are thriving. If you don't like public charter schools, then you must not like public school choice. Because if you like public, public school choice, you've got to like magnet schools. If you like public school choice, then of course you have to like the specialty schools here in New York City, where you actually have to take tests to get in, where in fact you don't have to take tests to get into charter schools, where you have specialty schools that are for the gifted. But what about those who we found left behind? It was a group of formerly enslaved Africans who walked off slave plantations in the South who helped to create the concept of a free, a free universal public education. Let us make sure that we include charter schools as part of the conversation. 
it's not going to solve all the problems, but it's also not the biggest problem. It's not going to serve all of our children, but all of our children are already not served by public schools. But what it will do is keep schools and the means of education moving ahead. But more importantly, we will guarantee that our children will have a better future than we will, because if you look at the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development data, Germany and the United States are one of the two industrialized nations whose children may not do as well as we have. To let that happen would be to turn our back on our Constitution and the work we've done. Thank you. I'm John Donvan. Round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate continues in just a moment. This episode is brought to you by GSK. For years, we have relied on antibiotics. But what happens if they stop working and a once-treatable infection could be fatal? At GSK... We're one of the few companies continuing to invest in a new generation of antibiotics through our own dedicated team and by working with other scientists. Because antibiotic resistance isn't a problem of the future. It's already here. And a reminder of what's going on. We are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, finding it out over this motion. Charter schools are overrated. You have heard the first two opening statements and now on to the third. Here to debate for the motion, Julian Vasquez Heilig. He's a professor of educational leadership and policy studies at California State University in Sacramento. Ladies and gentlemen, Julian Vasquez Heilig. There are now thousands of charter schools across the United States. While some are awful and many are average, some of them are great. So you're not going to hear us say tonight that every charter school is a problem, just as you're not going to hear Jeannie and Gerard say that every charter is perfect. The system of public education in the United States includes some places that are excelling and some that are struggling. Overall, the United States performs about the middle of the pack. However, there are some states that are knocking it out the park. For example, in math and science, there are only four countries in the world that perform better than Massachusetts. New York, New Jersey, there's only five countries in the world that perform better than those two states. The children of today are smarter than they've ever been before. In fact, our graduation rates are now higher than they've ever been. The key problem in our country is the inequality. The inequality between states, between districts, within schools, and within districts. Inequality as the status quo for poor children really is the shame of our nation. Some have suggested that charters resolve these inequities that persist in our society. Choice equals civil rights. As Trump's presidential transition team on education, Gerard, has made this point. Jeannie has also defended the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, for her approach to for-profit charters in Michigan as a civil rights remedy. In contrast, as noted recently by the civil rights organizations, the NAACP, the Journey for Justice, and the Movement for Black Lives, charter schools are far from a civil rights remedy. And let me make that case. Overall, their results mirror and in many cases underperform traditional schools. The public schools that Jeannie and Gerard have consistently denounced as failing by using approaches that limit or deny access to some of our most vulnerable students, many charter schools undermine the civil rights causes. In fact, it's the opposite of democracy. There are many wild claims out there about charter school performance. Many of them are rooted in what Credo does. In fact, Credo studies are not peer-reviewed. And if you look very carefully at them, you find that 
Well, African Americans perform eight thousandths of a standard deviation. Latinos, five hundredths of a standard deviation. These numbers are larger than zero, but you need a microscope to see them. Contrast that outcome with policies such as pre-K and class size reduction, which are far more unequivocal measures for student success. They have 400 to 1,000 percent more statistical impact than charters. Thus, the performance of charter schools is overrated. And again, these are the best possible national results for charter supporters to point to. Our friends have previously discussed the right to have high-quality schools. We agree. In California, for example, however, the ACLU found that one-fifth of all schools had discriminatory policies, some requiring parent hours. If you could not volunteer those parent hours, then you can make a volunteer payment to that school. And so what happens is charters can do the choosing if we don't hold them accountable. In essence, if charters are allowed to implement exclusionary policies, they do the choosing instead of families. So I submit to you, Voting that charter schools are currently overrated will simply demonstrate that you are aware that charter schools are an education reform that needs more work. Thank you, Julian Vasquez Heiler. And the motion again, charter schools are overrated. And here is our final opening round debater speaking against the motion, Jeannie Allen, founder and CEO of the Center for Education Reform. Ladies and gentlemen, Jeannie Allen. Thank you. Thank you, John. Are charter schools overrated? What if I told you the average cost-effectiveness advantage of charter schools was as much as 19 percentage points in reading and 17 percentage points in math, and that based on that increase on an objective test, we could actually save $1,000 per student that could go into that kind of pre-K healthcare, mental health and teacher support and educate more kids at the same time? Are those results overrated? I I love quaint statements about how everything is great. I heard it all the time. Just today on the train, I heard someone say, but I like public schools, I like charter schools, but I had to move across the border from D.C. into Maryland to get a good school for my kids. Really? Let me ask you another question. Is civil rights overrated? That children who are most in need, who need the equity that my partner talked about earlier, don't get that equity simply because we have this nostalgic version of that school that we all experienced, we often forget the deficiencies in the schools we attended. We get older, or those our kids attended. Classes too big, too small. Our talents are overlooked, underutilized, mismatched. I'm not good in science. I'm not good in history. Why do I have to be in a big class? Why do I have to be in a small class? Not enough music, too little indoors, books that make no sense. Testing, testing, testing. Discrimination. Are parents overrated? Think about it. Three million students in charter schools today. 26 years now we're entering with charter schools. That means something like 20 million choices have been made. Parents vote with their feet. They're surveyed year after year, and their support surpasses 80%. It's not because we need to actually count on these average huge studies like we're hearing about. There's actually no such thing as a study that will tell you that all charter schools do this way or all charter schools do that way. In fact, states like New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts don't have better test scores or assessments than every other state. They have higher income parents, better educated, 
And when we put those better educated, higher income families and their, stu- their students of those families in a data set for researchers to look at, they get all combined and squashed with all the poor, black, brown, Latino, and working class folks that, that actually ends up lifting them. But when you disaggregate that data, something we've been able to do for the last 12 years, you see a much different picture. You don't see growth with those upper middle class, those more advantaged kids, those working poor. You don't see them, regardless of color, getting better and better. You actually see the proficiency of the best performing students in America going down. Our system is broken, not our people. Is learning overrated? No, no, and no. Students go to charter schools not because it's one amorphous big thing or institution, but for the very purpose and reason that they started to begin with. It started with diversity, not doing better, choices over diverse learning environments because all of our kids learn differently, require differently. And that is why charter schools are not overrated. They are a majority better than any other institution we've had. They've lifted all boats, made all public schools better. Vote no, they are not overrated. Thank you, Jeannie Allen. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is charter schools are overrated. Now uh, we move on to round two. And in round two, the debaters address one another directly, and they take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York City at the Kaufman Music Center. The motion is charter schools are overrated. We heard the team arguing for this motion, Gary Miron and Julian Vasquez-Heilig, saying that uh, they were a good idea, charter schools were a good idea, but that they have gone off the rails dramatically, that they have not lived up to their main purpose, which was to innovate uh, to give teachers the chances to teach in ways that they actually wanted that would be uh, energizing for them, that in the end um, they find that too, too many schools are being taken over by private interests, that inequality in certain communities is actually echoed in the schools themselves, and then in that sense that they undermine human rights. The team arguing against the motion, and in that sense supporting charter schools by saying that they're not overrated, um, they concede, by the way, as their opponents do, that there are good charter schools and bad charter schools, but that they say that the purpose of charter schools, their main purpose was to give parents options, and on that score, they absolutely uh, have lived up to their main goal. They cite the fact that parents are voting with their feet by taking their kids in increasing numbers into charter schools with citing 80% support in, uh, in, in polls that indicate the parents are getting what they want out of it. So they're citing the, the virtue of choice um, and the virtue of a parent-led movement that they say is also bipartisan. So um, we're going we're gonna to peel some of this apart. I think it's going to be a little bit challenging for all of us on the issues of school performance because the studies are... Both sides are saying the studies are all over the place, but we, we do want to look at those and discuss those to some degree uh, as we can and as much as we can understand them. But I, for, before we get to the data, I want to take to the side arguing for the motion your opponent's main argument that the schools were founded, first of all, they say that their main purpose was to give parents a choice, and they say that parents are getting to exercise that choice. Therefore, there is success on those, that ground. So what does that say that parents are... Try, are, are, are asking for charter schools. I'll take you to you first, Jillian. In New Orleans, the only choice is charter schools. And so, yeah, so if you look at the numbers, you're going to see that the number of students attending charter schools is more. But New Orleans 
and uh, Louisiana writ large are last and nearly last in every single education outcome. And they've had 10 years and got everything they wanted. So just because something is growing doesn't necessarily mean it's good. But I'm still left with the question about other places. And in the large sense, there is a big demand nationally. And, and, and then I'll let you answer that, Gary, and then we'll go to the other side. Yeah, there's a demand, and their numbers are growing. Today, there's close to 3 million uh, students in charter schools in our country. But when we look at student attrition data, like especially in the virtual charter schools, there's phenomenal attrition. And uh, these companies just, instead of improving the quality of the schools, they pour m- more money into recruiting and, and convincing families to come in. In terms of waiting lists, these waiting lists, they're not audited. That's, there's, no, there's no valid measure. They're unsubstantiated claims. And okay, let's ab- take it back to They're actually Jeannie. not unsubstantiated. You actually have to produce data uh, at every school to show who you have chosen from so that you can be held accountable publicly. What disturbs me is the discussion and the debate, with all due respect, is about lacking context and data. So you're, right. you're misleading. Gary, I'll let you respond. I mean, a single charter school in, in Ohio, 14, 000, more than 14,000 students. They've had more than 18,000 students at one point in time. I mean, this is, this is publicly kind of available data. That? It's an online a, virtual school. Are they in school. a room? Okay, so they're not in a room. School to people. Uh, it's an online virtual yeah. school. Yeah, so they have people all over the state. It's very profitable. Uh, approximately 15% of the charter schools of the country are actually managed by for-profit companies. They're called EMOs, education management organizations. There are states where the majority or near majority are, in fact, operated by for-profit companies. But let's remember, before you had charter school laws, you've had the private sector involved in public education for many years. And there's a role for that because there are times where the public sector cannot or chooses not to provide that service. I mean, is there a trend towards privatization and private control of education? Yes, we agree. And, no, that's where, and that's where this actually conversation started, was when they decided that they were going to privatize buses, that they were going to privatize food services. Now they've decided that they want to privatize our schools, the entire deal. So I, I think that that's, that's, yes, I agree with you. There is a slow roll towards privatization and private control of our schools. I don't think he said that. What Gerard said is only 15%. It could be more. And who cares what the tax status of a company is if our kids are learning? Julian. So we're at a, a watershed moment for education. We have a Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos, who believes in the private control and privatization of education. If there's a slow roll to privatization, it's, let's take a look at your teacher pensions. Most of you who are teachers and principals will retire with a good pension because your investments are, in fact, invested in for-profit, private-making, or, or profit-making adventures. Just take a look at that. If you're against privatization on the school side, I'm not sure how you're against privatization when you're going to retire from that market. There is no one set of data or stats that tell us where every single person and every single student was and is after a certain amount of time. The issue is whether or not these schools are working for students through a variety of the same kinds of multiple measures that educators are clamoring okay. for today. Let me let Gary respond directly to that. Yeah, there's, there's data. Data is all over the place. It, you can say different things. You can torture it. It'll confess to a lot of things. Um, <laughs> we... We, we just, I've looked at the data. I, I have to look at all the data. And I've visited more than 700 charter schools, uh, 
in my state evaluations. We produce the reports and you selectively consume them. The data is not the issue. We have bureaucracies that control the rules. We have states that control the rules. We have union contracts that tie the hands of the greatest educators and make them want to leave. Unfortunately, our society has decided that poor children are going to get a lesser education. And it's the inequality that's built into the system. And we're talking about charter schools when we should be talking about the inequality. And what we should also be talking about is how charter schools exacerbate the inequality that we see in schools. When I was in Florida and both Virginia, I had an opportunity to work with PhDs, had to go through their data, not only look at charter schools but private and public. So that's part one. Uh, Part two If the argument is going to be that inequality we must fix first before we challenge or attack charter schools, you're in for a very long ride. What I think we should do is use the conjunction and. While we're fixing our public school systems to address inequality, let's also use charter schools to do the same thing. Julian. I actually agree with that statement, but let me add to it. And we must fix charter schools, make sure they're transparent, Make sure they're accountable. Until such a time, they are overrated. The charter schools are not overrated because they are serving parents and students' needs by choice. What what would we like better? You open your door and you are zoned to your traditional public school because of your zip code. There's nothing more inequitable than that. Versus you allow a parent to make a decision among institutions that are not only highly transparent, charter schools are micromanaged to death in ways that you cannot okay, find. Before you, okay, Gary. There's many forms of school choice, a magnet schools. There's a, within interdistrict school choice programs that, that maintain the governance structure means that uh, the public is still going to have more transparency and control. My big concern with the charter school choice option is that it's become a vehicle for privatization, less transparency? Gerard, if you're looking for transparency, uh, take a look at the state of California. I took a look at their numbers. 2016, 2017, 35 charter schools in that state closed. They tell you why academic malfeasance or financial. How many public schools have you seen close because students didn't do as well? If they close, they may be under a run. Julian. So... Do you think it's reasonable for us to know what the teacher attrition rate is in charter schools in California? Do you think it's reasonable for us to know what the discipline rates are in California? Well, the California charter school lobby does not want us to know that information about the schools that we're paying for. And to me, that's transparency and accountability. Gerard. When you submit your application to a charter school authorizer, Most of them are local school boards. Some are states, some are universities. Some of them now include the application. In case you have to close, what is your contingency plan? So there's things in place. We're still learning across the process. But remember, this is a 25-year learning curve. We're still on a learning curve with traditional schools, too. Gary Miron. I think let's go back to the legislative intent. It's beautiful. I like the idea. Small, innovative, locally run not run by for-profit or non-profit corporations outside the state. It was not just locally controlled. It was educators entering into contracts, thus charters, under a high standard 
run by and publicly accountable to states and taxpayers. Now, how do we know that that happens? Because where we have studies, we know what works. Let's look at the body of research. I have the smaller uh, smaller studies, case studies, tend to be more favorable towards charter schools. The larger scale studies tend to have uh, mixed findings or negative findings. The studies that are funded by federal or state education agencies tend to be negative. The studies funded by the advocacy groups, they tend to be positive. When we look at the research, we have to look at the the, the, the scope of all the research. And overall, charter schools are overrated. I'm John Donvan. Questions from the audience and the results of tonight's debate still to come on Intelligence Squared U.S. Hi, this is John Donvan again, and this is with an easy favor to ask. I am asking you all this month to tell a friend about a podcast that they will love. You know, right now, think of your friend, think of your mom, think of anybody you care about. What podcast would they really love? You got it? Now do it. Tell them about it on social media or in real life. And if they don't know how podcasts work, show them how. And then tell us what you recommended with the hashtag tripod. That's hashtag T-R-Y-Pod. And thanks for spreading the word. I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion. Charter schools are overrated. I'll come right down here to the front. So out of the, the 7,000-ish experiments that have come out of the various charter schools, apart from, I guess, adding more capitalism, what specific um, results from those experiments or techniques could be ported over to public education to improve that and add to what a great question. Like what, are, what are some of the innovations that have come out of yeah, the... That, sure. would be, that could be extracted. Who would like to take that, uh, Gerard or Jeannie? There have been a tremendous innovations in experiential and project-based learning that those schools have taken from the earliest days and have could been ported over. Could you unpack that a little bit? What is that? It means you actually change the way the classroom is structured because you don't have to account for a certain amount of seat time in the class, and you have freedom from curriculum. So you can say, you're going to go in the water for half of the day. You're going to explore what's there. You're going to come back. You're going to put it into beakers. You're going to look in under microscopes, that kind of experiential learning. Much more started in charter schools ported over. Uh, the way teachers are paid or, or, or retained and rewarded was very much performance-based pay. It was not on the table, folks, until charter schools came along. So if, just allow me to question the premise. Charters are based on competition. They're competing with each other and with public schools. So the very idea that somehow the original vision that we were going to share and be innovative runs contrary to the current conversation about how charters should function as competitors and as a market. And yet when we talk about specialty public schools in New York City, do we say they're competing with the public schools? Do we say the same thing about magnet schools, about theme-based schools, about science schools? Public schools are diverse because we don't educate all our kids the same way. We have a, a question comes in from Twitter from Matt Barnum, who I'm told uh, is a writer on education policy. He asks this question, what do we on the panel make of studies showing that virtual charters um, lead to huge drops in test scores? Um, Gary, describe, first of all, define virtual charter for us. Uh, virtual, uh, they basically take all their instruction online. The performance of these schools is outrageous. The student attrition rates are out of hand. 
I believe in virtual schools, and I believe in these blended learning schools, and they're going to be the future. Um, I'm very concerned about the corporate model that's being used right now with incredibly high student-to-teacher uh, ratios, when they really should be using all their cost advantages to have lower student-to-teacher uh, ratios. Do you know what it takes for a kid who has been bullied to wake up every day and go to school? Do you know who goes to online and virtual charter schools? For some kids, they're exceptional. They cannot get the education they need in those schools. Okay, we don't condemn those children, and I think there's a place for uh, virtual, full-time virtual schools for a small portion of their children at some part of their career. What we do condemn is that they're being put in these schools, sold on these uh, fantastic uh, claims, put into classrooms with 120 students. Go ahead. Uh, that's not right. Georgie, actually work with real superintendents who actually contract not only with K-12 but nonprofit organizations who provide online learning. These are people who dedicated their career to helping advance public education and they see for-profit and nonprofit virtual providers as part of the solution. Okay, go ahead. Hi, my name's Nathan. If public schools cease to exist, how would charter schools account for the very worst students or students of parents who can't or won't look out for their best interest. Every state constitution has an education clause. The education clause says that you must provide a public, free, universal education to children before they're emancipated. It could be age 18 or 16. I don't see public education going away. Uh, there are 50 million kids in there today. Three million students are in charter schools. I don't see it going away because there's always going to be a need for public education. I don't think it's got to be a one-size-fits-all public education. If there's anything to go away, hopefully it's the mindset that there's only one way to deliver public education. Gary or Julian? Gary. If these are such great ideas, why aren't these schools take over uh, districts? We've had public schools and other districts have put out requests for proposals inviting these uh, miracle companies to come and serve public school students in their schools where they have the same enrollment policies and where they have to take all kids, even those that come in the middle of the school year. They're only going to do charter schools because the model allows them to have selective entry and exit processes and benefit from that. Well, Well, what about this claim of selective entry? Now, the understanding is the laws always say that the schools can't select, and if if there's a waiting list, there's a lottery, and a lottery is totally blind. Why are you making this claim of selective entry? How is that supposed to work? Legally, they cannot. Charter schools are supposed to be open to all, but we see the way in the manner in which they market themselves. Uh, We see it in the way sometimes they have long admissions uh, processes where students have to write essays or do campus visits, requirements for volunteering, which some families cannot do. In some states, uh, their um, charter schools are not required to do transportation, and they don't provide transportation because it invites more single-parent families uh, and also low-income families. Gerard, do you want to take it? Well, one part is if you decide that you want to participate in inter-district choice and you decide to go outside of your zone school, there's some states that don't, that don't provide transportation, so it's both public and charter. Are there charter schools that have rigged the system to select the kids they want? Absolutely. But let's also talk about the public schools. Uh, USA Today identified that between 2010 and 2014, 83 public school systems actually counseled out some of their worst-to-serve students in order to raise their scores and do something else. There are also public schools who coach kids out and who coach kids in. It's not a charter public school problem. It's just a problem with adults behaving inappropriately with young people. Okay. All right. Let's take a question down here on the aisle. 
my name is Brian. I was actually a charter school teacher in Newark, New Jersey. I now teach in a public school in Morristown, New Jersey. My question is, um, to what degree uh, are charter school students compared to public schools attending college and completing college? Uh, Gerard or Jeannie would like to take it. Um, they're they're be just beginning to report out because we've got a generation of charter school students. Once again, I go back to you've got to look at city by city. You can't even look at state by state. And so the graduation rates for Philadelphia, for example, public charter schools surpass those of the Philadelphia school system in terms of race and income levels. You need to look at schools. You need to look at the city. And then you need to look at the state. And the state data is going to be, I think, still a long ways away because of the same reasons we've been talking about. And a response from the other side, if you'd like to. That data is not valid. Just kidding. Um, so uh, we published a piece in the Berkeley Review of Education. We looked at all the data for the state of Texas. Texas has lots of data. And so what we found, a lot of charter change will tell you 100% of our kids go to college. You probably heard this, right? So we took a look at a very prominent charter chain. I won't put them on blast here. And uh, only 60% of their kids, their African-American kids, uh, lasted to the senior year. But they still say that 100% of black kids go to college. But that really is 100% of 60%, which in my stats class is not 100%. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is charter schools are overrated. And now we move on to round three. And in round three, the debaters each make a closing statement in turn. And here making his closing statement in support of the motion, charter schools are overrated, Gary Miron, a professor at Western Michigan University. Thanks, John. I had two different closings. I don't know which to take. I thought I'd wait and see how the debate went, but um, I think I'll take this one here. (laughs) Charter schools are overrated for the reasons that we said, that they're not living up to their publicly established goals. Um, But they are achieving two other key outcomes. Uh, One is that they're accelerating resegregation by race and ethnicity, by by economic class, by special education status, by ability, by English language status, and even as we look at the research, even by religious groupings, uh, because that's surprising to me, but we have a lot of religious-oriented charter schools. They're not supposed to teach religion during the day, but we have Islamic schools, we have Christian schools, we have a couple networks of Hebrew schools. Um, So we're really segregating. Our our, our schools are accelerating segregation that already exists, unfortunately. But right now, in my own lifetime, this is a critical time. Probably more than ever, we need a public school system to reduce social tensions. We need children to be more integrated, more exposed to children with different backgrounds. When they're exposed to children with different backgrounds, they're going to be less likely to be biased towards them, and they're going to be less likely to believe claims by by leaders uh, demonizing minorities or religious groups. So I think right now public education is really important and we cannot afford to accelerate segregation further. This is a market-oriented reform. It's going to result in winners and losers. And our urban schools, our, our children in poverty, they need a solution. We cannot afford winners and losers. We need a solution that lifts all schools and lifts all kids. And right now, the evidence is suggesting that charter schools uh, are having a negative impact on the districts uh, in which they're located. And um, the outcomes, as we see, they're, they largely perform similarly at best. We're dividing limited resources across two struggling, often failing school systems in our urban areas. We need a better solution to lift our urban schools and address the issues of poverty. Thank you, Gary Merrin. 
The motion, again, charter schools are overrated. And here, making his closing statement against the motion, Gerard Robinson, a resident fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. So charter schools aren't overrated. What's overrated are the scare tactics used to try to make people believe that we're destroying children's lives. If you want to listen to Gary and Julian are great researchers, I would also add that you should look at Carol Hoxby, that you should look at Jay Green and uh, Pat Wolf, Mike McShane, and also Nat Malkus, who's at my institution. Reading from the right and from the left, maybe somewhere we'll find sense in the middle. Ultimately, when I talk to parents, and I've done this since 1993, they're not interested in the right wing or the left wing. What they're interested in are schools that work. And what we need to make sure that we do is to provide that forum. For the charter schools that aren't working well, we should close them. For those of you who are authorizers, you already know all the metrics. You know a bad charter school when you see one, never let it open. For those of you who believe in public choice, that is the American way. Giving people an opportunity to choose magnet, charter, virtual, and otherwise. The reality is 25 years from now, we'll have the same conversation. Some of us in this room won't be here. I mean, be one of the ones that are not here. But what I can say is that when I had an opportunity to stand on the right side of history, I did so because charter schools are advancing the idea of what it means to be a republic and what it means to support democracy. I will be glad to say for my three daughters and at some point grandchildren that when I had an opportunity to be unpopular, I decided to be unpopular because I took a chance on something called charter schools, an idea for regular people to take public money and do extraordinary things. Private institutions are a part of our uh, segment, a part of our, actually a part of our nation. I will close with this. It's easy to theorize about what you would do with other people's children when you're sitting in the laps of luxury. Having actually lived with people who are concerned about their future, charter schools are an approach, and for that reason, they're not overrated. Thank you, Gerard Robinson. And that is the motion. Charter schools are overrated. And here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Julian Vasquez-Heilig, a professor at Sacramento State. So I have a confession to make. I'm a former charter school educator, parent, board member, donor, and volunteer. I first became involved with charter schools when I volunteered at a Minnesota charter in the 1990s, soon after they were first began. Fast forward to the mid-2000s, I worked as a 21st century learning program instructor in a Bay Area charter school, essentially a teacher's aide. I've also donated to charter schools. In fact, they still send me fundraising letters. I also serve on the board and was a parent of, on a Texas charter school. But I am a scholar. We are convinced by evidence. It's our sacred duty to society. So my perspective on charter schools changed when I began to research them and engage with data beyond those with which I had had direct and personal experience. So I submit to you that we allow ourselves the space in our national discussion and in this debate tonight to change our mind about charter schools. We have talked this evening about many points in the debate about charter schools, but there's one major point of agreement. Poor students in the United States have less opportunity for a high-quality education than those in wealthy areas. So we must not, must not do nothing, because African Americans and Latinos and other poor students continue to be underserved on purpose. But the motion tonight is about whether charter schools, as an education reform, are overrated. Considering the evidence that I believe we presented to you tonight, 
I proffer the audience should embrace the motion and vote that charters are a reform that needs reform. Thank you. Thank you, Julian Buskis Heilig. Once again, the motion is charter schools are overrated. And here to make her closing statement against the motion, Jeannie Allen, CEO of the Center for Education Reform. I think controversy in the spirit of doing what's right for our kids is never a bad thing. And so I thank Gary and Julian. I vehemently disagree with your position, but I respect your passion, your integrity, and your commitment, and I will work every day of my life to change your minds. (laughs) I wake up every day, and all we have done is spend time in and around education trying to understand and evaluate what works. I don't have a busy teaching load, although I do have a master's from the University of Pennsylvania. I employ scholars. We have colleagues around the country that we are constantly working with. These issues we are talking about is what we are obsessed with 24-7, much to the chagrin of my family. Across the country, people like myself, thousands, that are literally part of an effort to understand and push for what Ever it takes to get kids in the best schools that meet their needs. And if data works, great. And if those schools work, fine. But we cannot stop thinking that we have the answer until everyone is educated. I don't know the charter environment that you've heard my colleagues over here talk about. I've never seen this charter environment they've described. There's bad apples everywhere, sure, but there's not this environment of of craziness and and irresponsibility as if it's some some outrageous thing happening. The charter environment I've seen has Native American kids learning for the first time in their lives in Arizona. It has dropouts that went back to school by the droves in Minnesota. It has students who couldn't make it in a traditional school learning online. And yes, it has suburban moms in places like Colorado who had been going to private schools because the public schools would not help them. These and millions of other data points is what makes up the charter movement. There's so much more to be done, and that's why they are not overrated. Thank you, Jeannie Allen. And that concludes round three of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where the motion is charter schools are overrated. I want to say one more thing. We do this as a philanthropy. I, I know that you paid to, to get in here and bought your tickets, but the ticket prices do not cover nearly the cost of what we do. And when we, when we produce these debates, I've talked about the podcast and the, and the radio broadcast. We put that out to the world for free. And in fact, uh, we not only have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of thousands of uh, listeners to our podcast, but we are now involved with many, many schools who make us part of their curriculum. I've been traveling around the country in association with my book, and I keep running into people who, who say they're big fans of Intelligence Squared, and they know about it because it's in their classroom. And we're exceedingly proud of that. But we need your support, and we appreciate it. Uh, and tonight, we've, um, div- I'm announcing that there's a real way now to... Uh, to donate to us, uh, and that is to use your phone and text the word debate. This is really simple. Text the word debate, and you'll get a link to donate online. And and you text the word debate to the code 797979, and you know what that means. It it doesn't mean anything, but but it's it's easy to remember. So we would appreciate it. I I would love to see some activity happening in the seats even now of fumbling for your phones. Text debate to 797979. All right, so we're going to wait for the results of the vote to come out. I think we're ready. And now it's time to learn which side you feel has argued the best. 
In the first vote, on the motion, charter schools are overrated. In the first vote, 33% agreed with the motion, 31% disagreed, and 36% were undecided. A three-way split almost. Those are the first results. Let's look at the second result. In the second result, the team arguing for the motion, charter schools are overrated. They went from 33% up to 54%. That means they picked up 21 percentage points, which is now the number to beat. The team voting, arguing against the motion, their first vote was 31%. Their second vote, they went up to 40%, but that's 9%, not enough to win. The team arguing for the motion, charter schools are overrated. Our winners, congratulations to them. Thank you from me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared U.S. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Taylor Quimby and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is chief marketing and digital officer. Chris Kamakawa is director of research. And I'm your host, John Donvan. You can now stream all of our debates on demand on Apple TV and on Roku devices with the new IQ2US app. For more information on that or to purchase tickets to our actual live events, visit IQ2US.org. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Connor Davis Family Foundation, David A. Coulter, Thomas Campbell Jackson, Robert Epstein, Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Dr. Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Rosencrantz Foundation, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, Jennifer and Philippe Salendi, the Paul E. Singer Foundation, Edward Stern and Stephanie Rhine, and Emily and Antoine Van Actmel. From Intelligence Squared U.S., Thank you to all of you.